Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Halal Gap. I'm your host, Skandarthik, and I'm joined, as always, by... Your other host, Sophia Alani. And our talented producer, Asif. How's it going, man? Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> yo, 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 yo. Uh, we have an incredible <laughs> guest for you guys today. Take it away, Sophia. He is an actor, voiceover artist, musician, and podcast host. Along with his friend, Basim Osmani, he founded The Kaminas and was featured in the documentary titled The Birth of Punk Islam, Thakwa Kor. You may have caught him as Mateo in season one of Rom-Com Pods or in 2020's Zoom theater production, Guards at the Taj. He is also the host of the brand new Rifelion produced podcast series, King of the World, where he reflects on his own journey through addiction, identity, creativity, and what it means to be a Muslim in America post 9-11. Joining us all the way from Boston, please welcome Shah Jahan Khan. Woo-hoo! Thank you so much. You got all the things. I don't have to say anything now. Yeah, <laughs> we could cut here. It's over. What more is there it. to say? <laughs> so yeah, so uh, typically we just kind of start right at the beginning with your origin yeah. story. So sure. uh, do you want to tell us, kind of take us back? I would not be able to tell an origin story without the origin of my parents. So my father is from Quetta in Pakistan. My mom is from Lahore in Pakistan. Uh, they, uh, their parents decided that they should get married in 1979. They had met each other a week before that. Uh, my dad came to the U.S. in um, 74. We heard that he left his, his suitcase in the U.K. when he came to America. yeah it's i mean it's a great yeah i I don't know i forget exactly how much of that story was in the first episode of my show but yeah i mean he he like showed up to the shores of boston like the charles river was like frozen there was like a crazy blizzard that year and uh yeah just kind of like i think a pretty typical sort of a story um coming from yeah quite to come to like Boston is pretty wild. Isn't it weird how our parents come to these like cold ass climates from Pakistan? Yeah. It's like, why wouldn't they all just gravitate towards tropical climate? I was literally just at my parents' house last night and it's freezing inside. Like the AC is like full blast. And I was like, and we were having like a Hyderabadi biryani and, and like all yeah, this really yeah, cool yeah. food. I just had a new nephew about a month ago. Oh, and so it, just, it was his Akika to shave oh, yeah. the hair yeah. off of his head yeah. and so I, and every time i walk in and like it'll be the same my dad will be just like freezing in the corner and my mom will just be like it's just too hot i can't I yeah can't it's so. wild it's wild i remember my dad used to be the exact same way where he would be like max i can go he, he grew up in india but he would when we would yeah. visit family like Pakistan or india he'd be like max one week that's all i can take it's too hot over yeah. there and it's like yeah. how did you guys like how do you do that? You climb to so quick. I don't know. Me, my dad can rock like a, a cashmere sweater or should I say cashmere? <laughs> I don't know. A sweater in um, uh, in like the middle of the summer. Like yeah. he does not, he does not feel heat at all. Amazing. That's yeah. Impressive. My dad's also similarly very like me and my dad are very like always hot. So like in the winter time, like we don't have the heat on in our house. It's just uh, and my mom yeah. and sister are just freezing. Um, mm, yeah. But, you know, but you can always put on more layers. You can't take off. That's your exactly so I what say, I say. Tailor it to the hottest person. That's because exactly you can't, what I say. Right? Yeah. Because people yeah. are always like, oh, you live in Boston. It's really cold. I'm like, yeah, it, it is like. I guess there's like a week or two in the year where it's like pretty insane cold, but like you kind of get used to it. I don't know. Yeah. Like yeah. The seasons and stuff. 
Or you just like find ways to cope. Yeah, because Edmonton has been the coldest place on earth like a few times <laughs> in over the last several years. So your dad comes to Boston. He he got into yeah. it was for MIT if I'm if I'm saying that's right. right yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to study uh, electrical engineering, and um, my mom actually has a, a master's in political science, but uh, her fa- and she actually got a full scholarship to go to UMass Amherst, but her parents were like, yeah, that's not happening. Really, uh, you have to Damn. go uh, marry. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, like, her she has actually two uh, elder sisters, uh, my two kalas, who are both um, pretty well known like math professors in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. But like for my mom, um, they just wanted, and most the vast, like pretty much everybody in the extended family is still in Pakistan. I have one popo, one aunt and uncle that are in Vegas. Uh, and you know, two cousins from that from them, um, but everybody else is still in Pakistan. And so, I think for them, for my nani and nana, like uh, they, it was just important for them to have some connection to America. Your nana but, was like a b- bit of a big deal too, wasn't he? Yeah, man. He, uh, yeah, he was a bit. So he was like, the, I mean, my not my bara nana, great grandfather. He has a stamp. Uh, oh. He was like part of the Whoa. original Pakistan Muslim League, like back. He was like friends with Gaidayazam. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's like pretty insane. But yeah, my, my nana, uh, Malik Shokat Ali, uh, was the mayor of Lahore in 1955. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Cool. Right. And that definitely, I think in, in the first episode, it, I, I, I pretty much go right into how yeah. it was like pretty hard to like grow up in that shadow. So okay, so you you you're born in Foxborough, correct? Foxborough with a B, with a B. Foxborough. Everybody confuses Foxborough. Unbelievable. All right, I think that was Asif's first mistake all season. That's okay though. Yeah, it's totally people in this state make the same mistake and have never heard of of Foxborough. So it's don't worry, Asif. Is it is it (laughs) is it like very close to Boston or Cambridge or where? where? It's it's like about a half hour. A forty minute to the uh, forty minutes to the west, so okay. not like super far, but not it's not Boston, you know, it's not. Yeah, yeah. I forget if it's technically part of like the quote greater Boston area, but it's it's far enough right. away. It's a small suburb. It's like you know, it's very close to like colonial America founding. You know, of where like the battles of Lexington and Concord took place. Literally, like yeah. the next towns over. So it has all of this mm. like colonial shit happening in it <laughs> so so it, was um, that yeah. like a big part of like your education growing up there like did you learn about all that like yeah ad-nosium? i mean yeah we definitely did ad nauseum is the perfect way to, to say it <laughs> i mean <laughs> our school mascot was the colonials the sports team was the are colonials. they still the colonials no, that seems just maybe problematic this year they just okay. changed it i think okay. this year or last year because people were like yeah this uh kind of sucks <laughs> but to, you know to be perfectly honest with you i didn't think about any of that shit when i was going there mm-hmm. um you know i, I mm-hmm. uh just i didn't um but uh it really wasn't until a lot later and honestly even a lot of like um, while putting the show together that I was thinking about how all these things have affected me long term. But yeah, Box Pro. So, I mean, after I was like two when we moved there. My dad uh, mm-hmm. had finished school at MIT. Um, and then we spent a couple of years just in uh, in that area in a, in Cambridge and then Arlington. And then uh, they moved to, out to, uh, to Boxborough. 
growing up in a household with people who are very much into academia, I would assume based on what you just told us about your, your, your parents, was that kind of, was it more of a traditional household of, you know, focus on academia or did you have an early passion towards music? How did that come about for you? I mean, I credit my traditional. Yeah. In the sense that, yeah, my parents wanted me to like do well in school. I mean, I don't know if that's not, yeah, it might be traditional not, for some people. It's also not that big a deal. I feel like right. it gets made, you know, like people are like, it than- happens a lot with, um, I don't know, quote unquote, Asian parents where people right. use that stereotype. It basically just means like your parents want you to do well and that's like fine. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? But like, but in terms of music, I, I actually credit my father for that. I mean, he, I my earliest memories are, you know, he was really into Gavali, into Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, into Ghazals, mm. uh, into like the singer Gugush from Iran. Um, mm. And also like Johnny Cash and Chuck Berry. Um, so my my love of music, I think, definitely comes from, from my father. Um, and interestingly enough, I learned this uh, at, at a... At, uh, a certain point in the uh in the podcast as i'm interviewing my mom that she actually mm-hmm. always wanted to play i'm gonna give this away but i'm, I'm just gonna do it uh she actually always <laughs> wanted to play the guitar and i didn't know oh, this really? until this year that i interviewed oh her, wow which is wild oh. so but um are you gonna like do that with her you know i've she want like now she wants to take i'm trying to encourage her to take singing lessons actually my bandmate uh, Korno, uh, he's, he comes from a Bengali family. His mother is, uh, his parents are both actually like also like biology professors and like uh, yeah. really <laughs> academically accomplished, but they're also like touring musicians. And they, uh, oh, wow. his mom uh, yeah. runs a school. She like runs a music school in Wayland, Massachusetts. So anyway, the the plan, my mom always wanted to take singing lessons and I'm trying to push her to do it. And But I know that she's like, a little hesitant because she feels like it's a little bit too late but I, I think she'll do it i think i'm gonna maybe i should mm. do that's one very with her. cool i should probably do one yeah that would be amazing and then so and then like you could play the guitar and she could sing and you could do a little switcheroo yeah. like that'd she be does, so lovely so she will like both of my parents will go to like mushaira's you know and like they'll and musical nights and like sing there so you know with like the rest of the you know aunties and uncles and stuff so mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so they're definitely the ones that push me into music. Um, but I think again, at least what I like, not as a profession, like, you know, Mm. we want you to do this. We want you to like be a good kid that like plays piano and like, you know, Mm-hmm. Has like a rounded education, but yeah, 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 yeah. Extracurricular, but still goes down the yeah, but like you know, go to yeah. Harvard or whatever. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, you, you've touched on a couple of times that the podcast that obviously that you're referring to is the a new podcast you just launched called King of the World, which we'll we'll, we'll definitely get into. I'm I'm wondering though, as it relates to, and as you just mentioned, um, as it relates to kind of your preparation for this very personal journey that you take listeners through that you've had to interview your mom and and you know uh, have you found that you're learning a lot more about your childhood through their eyes than you initially would oh have my thought God, so much more like my my mom my dad my sisters uh, Mariam yeah. and Nuna uh, I am learning I mean I knew that I was a selfish uh male you know <laughs> eldest son I mean with a name like Shah Jahan I mean <laughs> I mean you know <laughs> Um, but it's, but in all seriousness, like just seeing kind of, 
I have some experience with it uh, being a person in recovery. So I've been sober 10 years. Um, I think a couple, maybe two or three. Thank you. Uh, maybe two or three years into sobriety, I did initially do the kind of 12 step journey. So I did do, um, and that when you go through it, it, it involves making amends um, mm. and kind of like owning your side of the things that you've done and, pre- and, you know, narrowing the list down from like all the people you feel you have wronged over your life or, or that have maybe not just like that, but that have been impacted by that. Um, you kind of like whittle it down to, all right, these are the people I should, I should kind of, it would serve them to like that I should do this. And it's not a purely selfish thing. So a part of that, the first few were with my family, like we're actually sat down with them and we talked through some stuff. And I mean, the reason I bring that up now this early is just because it was at that point when I definitely learned, started to learn a little bit more of like, just what an effect, like my, everything that was going on with me had on them. But I feel like now um, almost, this must be eight years later now that, that we did these interviews, I definitely like, learned a lot more about their experiences, their experiences with me, of me, and then in the context of like the whole post 9-11 thing. Um, and my parents mm-hmm. too, specifically, yeah, I'm just some of their, and some of their memories, which uh, are detailed in, in a couple of the episodes where, you know, you, there's a, a couple of back and forth where I'm just like, holy shit, I didn't know, like I knew this happened, but I didn't know this other thing that you're saying happened. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, absolutely. No, that's it. it. You know what? It's one of those things where it's like get, being given that medium and that opportunity through that podcast journey that you're doing. It's a pretty interesting and like unique reflection that I don't think a lot of us get a chance to have. Right. I'll speak for myself. Like I've mm-hmm. never had that sort of opportunity to just sit down and like interview my parents about their lived experience. You know what I mean? Like how that's what it, I was it must be a pretty it- incredible thing. Yeah. Yeah, initially when we were tossing around the idea of doing a 9-11 thing, I was like, yeah. part of me was like, I don't f- want to do anything about 9-11. We are so sick yeah. of f- talking about 9-11 this, is, <laughs> this year. It's going to be all fucking 9-11 all the time. But I think just what you said there is is exactly what I was hoping. And frankly, like that seems to be what's really like resonating with people. So Yeah, right mm-hmm. on. Good stuff. Cool. So, okay. So you're, you're in Boxborough, not Foxborough and, uh, um, and, and around age 12 or 13, I I assume you, you get your first guitar. Was that like love at first sight or was that? So yeah, I didn't, obviously you don't have time to go into everything in the, in the, in the podcast form, but technically, technically the very, or maybe I did, I don't know. First guitar my dad (laughs) brings home is from a church garage sale. It's like a $12 shitty, shitty acoustic where, you know, it's a nylon string guitar, but someone put steel strings on it. So the action on the neck is all f***ed up. But that's what I like. (laughs) And I was psyched. And that's like what I learned on, you know, for the first year, I think I just had all of the strings as the same note or different octaves or whatever. I didn't know what I was doing. I remember this kid from elementary school. I still remember his name, Ben Hood had this, the thing that I was super jealous of was his guitar. He had a purple, I think it was called an Epiphone Coronet. And he had a little PV amp. And I remember sometimes he would let me come over and like, I would just like, you know, just like hit a couple of strings and turn on the little distortion switch on it. And I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. I remember <laughs> learning how to tune the guitar for the first time. I remember, and then discovering, oh my God, there's this thing called the power chord. Now I can play all the stuff that I like, I'm hearing so yeah i'm i people remember lots of you know 
of their first and stuff like for me guitar firsts are just like vivid so eventually the first electric guitar i get very excited when i talk about guitars sorry uh, was <laughs> no. a, 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 a squire a squire strat so okay anyway. nice so I was just going to say, like, so in terms of like your early, like you're saying, like, now I can play the things I'm hearing, like, what were your kind of early influences? Was it punk, like from the beginning? No, not or? at all. Punk, not at all. So I didn't get into punk until basically the Caminas uh, started, uh, thanks mm-hmm. to Boston. But I'm talking like, I guess, well, Green Day, you know, I can yeah. argue with somebody whether or not they're real punk or whatever. <laughs> um, definitely Green Day, uh, Bush. Um, uh, Janu. Wait, what? What? What would be your What would be your opinion on that Green Day argument? I mean, I don't care, man. I really, I think, (laughs) yeah, like they were, yeah, whatever. Like they were punk and they played Gilman Street and all that. Then they went a little pop punk and then they did all these other anthemic things. And like, I I don't know. I I think they're Green Day is awesome. I don't care. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm on board. I'm on board. When I was 16, me too. That was my was one incredible. of my first. Like, they amazing set their whole podcast. stage on fire at the end of the show. I will never forget. <laughs> it was the WBCN River Rave. I was sixteen. Um, incredible. And it was you know like at three p.m. It's a giant festival. It was like Coldplay, Marilyn Manson, <laughs> Aerosmith, System of a Down, all these incredible oh my God, bands. Nice. And Green Day just was like, you know what? We're just gonna set all our shit on fire. So, <laughs> were they the last act or were they just no, like no, sorry next like, people like and it was 3 p.m it was 3 p.m they were like <laughs> oh there was tons of acts that were gonna come after them. <laughs> oh, so, like no. nope not today yeah. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> but yeah green day then i mean a big nice. thing for me was um the whole i guess representation and music thing other than you know tony from no doubt being like wait is that a brown dude is that a brown dude yeah um yeah. i think all of us were like yo that music video like yeah. i think in the yeah, back like what is she wearing a bindi <laughs> what so, um, yeah. but then it became so then i i uh a big um sort of a life-changing thing for me was when uh one of our uh i guess he's i would technically call him Shazad uncle, but Shazad Bhai is more accurate. He gave me a cassette tape of the band Vital Signs from Pakistan. Oh, yeah. And then from there, when uh, Salman of Vital Signs album one split off and started this band Janoon, those were like life altering uh, periods of time. This is so this is probably like, uh, what, like 91, 92 or something when Janoon first came about. So for me, it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Pakistani dudes can like play guitar and sort of be like guitar heroes. Like what is even going on? And then they were technically mm-hmm. one of my first concerts in Pakistan uh, at uh, Alhamra Open Air Stadium in Lahore. Um, so yeah, they. I mean, I just, I, I can still play every Janoon song ever like that they ever wrote. how, I mean, how, just, how old were you for your first concert that must have been i would have been i think 13 or 14 um technically technically my first ever concert was nusrat fateh ali khan with my dad in 1995 <laughs> at the boston nice. pops and i always tell the story my dad was the only like person in the whole like it's at boston symphony hall which is like one of the you know esteemed Places with like perfect acoustics, right? You know, the engineers probably know what they're doing. My dad goes up to the sound engineer (laughs) in the middle of the show and he's like, "Um, could you just maybe turn the the 
certain some frequency down like, oh my goodness say, like turn That's it down awesome. like, maybe bring down like the 1k or the 2k because my dad is like you know he's a, he's a music aficionado he knows his um, shit he knows i like what's it up. yeah he does yeah janoon so definitely janoon so uh jimmy hendrix and then rage against the machine was then the next significant tom morello specifically of rage against the machine was yeah. the person that i idolized in terms of bought all the same guitar pedals i eventually got a guitar with like a floyd rose tremolo on it and i i hung my strings in the same way and i just like wanted to be him and so those were kind of the the things i was imitating mm-hmm. That's amazing. And then um, was your first band the high school band that did Weezer covers? Was That, that is correct. We were that... called Protocol. <laughs> okay. okay. It was Protocol. me and my friends, uh, Eric and Kevin and Chris um, and Jay for a couple of shows. He rapped a little bit <laughs> and then that was kind of oh, nice. that was kind of it. But yeah. And that was, was that was that when you first got your taste of like – a stage experience and and kind of not exactly actually my first taste would have been um being asked to perform at the pakistani association of greater boston's uh events like talent show or what independence day talent show i would play the (laughs) national anthem there's evidence of this somewhere (laughs) you know and like pretty big shows actually because like those things are huge so um but in terms of like being in a band, you know, definitely, um, yeah, protocol. Our fr- I remember our first show was, uh, it was like it was like one of those um, very shady talent shows that some guy just offers some high school kids, like, oh, you just pay me for these tickets, and then you sell them, and if you win this competition, I'll give you ten hours of free recording time, which is literally a little four track recorder like in my basement. Um, so that was like our first show, like our parents bought all the tickets and stuff, but, uh, that's great. Yeah, it was like first time playing through somebody else's like Marshall stack and stuff. And so, but yeah, we, we quickly, I think became, I'm going to argue that we were the best band at Acton Boxborough regional high school. I think we were pretty popular. I think we were pretty, <laughs> pretty right on with our Weezer incubus tool covers you know those yeah, that's a eclect that's a pretty i mean if you're doing yeah. everything from tool to weezer that's a that's a fairly eclectic yeah, incubus, perfect circle also okay. we did uh definitely rage covers uh we had I a would, few originals i can i can send them to you if you want to hear them please do so, please do absolutely i would go yes, i mean if that's like my uh that's like my playlist right now like okay, rage, yeah. You know, Incubus, you know, all these 2000s and like late 90s bands. Yeah, that's because that damn. shit's all coming back. It's so funny. I'm a I'm a big brother in the Big Brother and Big Sisters program. I went with yeah. uh, my my younger my little brother to see Slipknot two years oh. ago before mm. COVID because he was yeah. like into Slipknot. And I was like, this is, you know, <laughs> that's incredible. that's what's old is new again, I guess. Yeah, that's Hell wicked. Yeah. Um, so, OK, so. But sorry, before I move on, I just wanted to ask actually. So, were you self-taught like the entire time, or did you? Yes, guitar. I was self-taught. I um, piano. I t- I took pretty intense lessons for eight years. Um, oh, wow. And I basically dropped out because I just didn't want to do it anymore. Once I started playing guitar, I just thought guitar was cooler. Um, <laughs> which, in retrospect, I kind of wish I had kept going. Um, but no, guitar. I I taught myself uh, through you know guitar tabs. And just just mimic mimicking. I did 
in, eventually I, I took four guitar lessons, but I just didn't care about all the f- the modes and the this yeah. and that. I just was like, you know what? I know like what I want to do. Yeah. Let me just figure it out. So yeah. yeah. So I feel I, yeah. I feel like if you do it from like a, a passion perspective rather than like a theoretical perspective, like you mm-hmm. could probably you could probably buy in a lot more too, right? Like you're probably willing to put in the hours because nobody's yeah, like, go so learn I mean, music. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's value in both um, for yeah, sure, you know. Um, but I do I do feel like it. that's the thing that maybe piano is the thing that developed my ear, you know. Mm. And then once I took on guitar and, you know, I can play drums a little bit. I can play bass a little bit. I started playing rubab a couple of years ago, which is from Afghanistan cool. traditionally. Yeah. Maybe I'm just speaking from my own trauma of having to learn like green sleeves on sheet music for my acoustic <laughs> guitar that like translated into like no further development of my guitar skills. The only thing I can still play on piano like from memory honestly is actually I just got a harmonium. So I started playing Ooh. harmonium which is really fun. But the only thing I can still play from memory is not something I learned from my piano teacher. It's Melancholy in the Infinite Sadness from Smashing Pumpkins, like the self-titled nice. the title yeah. of that album, that opening piano track. It's one of my yeah, favorite yeah. pieces of music ever. So, oh, that's cool. Um, nice. Yeah. And so given that you kind of like uh, grew up with like this music going on and that you had all these opportunities as like a youth to kind of like show off your skills and had parents that, you know, bought your tickets and supported you and had like, you know, a Pakistani association that was like, hey, come play for us. Like, did you find that that support translated to kind of you doing this as like a job and and less of just like on the side as a as a student? So, you know, it's, it's, that's a really, really interesting question uh, that I haven't specifically ever thought about in that context. But um, I wish I could say yes. Uh, I think the other side of everything was that uh, now I don't know what came first. You know, a lot of kids are anxious and depressed, you know, growing up and stuff and, uh, and maybe feel uh, a lack of self-worth. You know, a lot of this is just like being a young person, you know, but I think for me it was it was actually pretty hard to um to either like internalize the cuz I did have a lot of love, you know, I had a lot of um love for my my family. Uh there was actually a Pakistani community there, but for some reason the disconnect between the like school me and the and, and like the AC me or like whatever that meant to me, like those two things just didn't um they didn't like click and i and i just always and i felt again a very common story with i think like you know whatever the term is like first generation or third culture kids or whatever like for me and also being very in a very very white town whiteness being the norm the uh and being the like i think from teenage uh years onwards kind of like being this daisy kid on the weekends uh and and also maybe starting to drift away from at least in my experience and i'm only talking about mine you know, like what the other like they see kids around me were doing, like they weren't really, it, it, at least again, for me into like the kind of stuff that I was into, um, especially like, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, I guess, yeah, when you put it like that, um, it should have made it easier, right. For me to like, especially because like, you know, it, it then turned out, for example, that like the dude from Janoon, his like sister lived in, in Boston and I got to like know that and then, but, but it's just, it still was like, it wasn't something that I, 
I realistically, even for myself, saw as something I could pursue other than just this like crazy sort of dream that I had, you know, and it was all of this stuff was kind of going in conjunction with like starting to smoke a shitload of weed, which again is not by any means unusual. Um, but for me, it just became an identity like really quickly, just like um, excessive, like excessive um, to the point where it would even like get in the way of you know, protocols, band practice, you know, like not being able to show up for stuff. Do you think that like with the, that the divide, and I know you kind of mentioned like, you don't really know what came first, but like, do you think that like the divide, you kind of sensed it, that there, there's like a profound difference here. And so like that kind of led to more, more distance, more drug use and stuff. Or was it that like, that happened first and then that ended up exacerbating the divide? You know what I mean? You know, so my mom actually tells the story um, in the opening of the podcast, not just on the podcast, but like I've heard this story my whole life that when I was in kindergarten, you know, one day I came home and I was like trying to ask her to like wash my hands to make them white. So mm-hmm. if I look at it from that perspective, then this is something I would have noticed from way, way, way back in the day from in kindergarten, right? And especially being a basically one of maybe two or three brown kids in the whole in the whole town at that time i mean now it's it's changed a little bit but definitely back then um i don't know and you know going from that like whether that fed into me sort of having a predisposition towards anxiety and depression and stuff you know like it's hard to say um i know that mm-hmm. um my parents did try to, i think to put me in therapy once when i was uh, in either middle school or early, early high school, it, it didn't really stick. And, and, you know, uh, I just, we just kind of stopped it after that. Cause I, it just seemed that I was like sad. And I think that, it was, I think that around like, especially right before high school, right before I started smoking weed anyway, like I was already kind of like depressed and didn't, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence really in anything, you know, like in, um, uh, in, any real part of myself, you know, like obviously like I enjoyed being in my room, being alone and like playing guitar. And I think outwardly, yeah, like I had some friends here and there, but like inside, like at home, you know, at night, like I just didn't like feel like I was like a complete, you know, person. I just felt like there was like something just missing about me, you know, and and I'm not, and I'm again, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if that's like the identity piece. I'm not sure if that's like the, what am I going to do later in life piece or, you know, or if, it, if I'm just supposed to be something that I'm incapable of being, but I, th- I think all of that like was definitely there. Hmm. So you, after high school, you, you did pursue uh, a college uh, degree, but then left. Barely. Part, yeah. Part <laughs> left. So did, did, did you kind of have, did you go because your parents were saying, look, we want you to go get something or did you kind of just, Dude, it was I music on I mean, the I, radar. Like, where, what was yeah, your where was your head I, at that point? Honestly, I was pretty high every day from, I would say, end of sophomore year through senior year. My dad literally wrote my college application essay for me. Uh, he wrote he he actually wrote it about moderation in Islam. Uh, oh wow! And I I was like, okay, this sounds good. Um, I guess. And then you know, I got I got into like. I got into UMass Amherst and Northeastern, you know, um, I had applied to 10 schools that he wanted me to apply to, you know, like Tufts. I remember going on an interview with like this person from Tufts and she was asking me all these, you know, questions that 
I guess like they asked smart kids and I just was like, I had literally just like smoked a cigarette outside. I remember it was a Starbucks in Concord and I couldn't have given like two f***s about being there. Um, but no, so I mean, I, I barely graduated high school. That's the truth. I mean, I, yeah. I was like, you know, I, there's, I, I looked up my transcript for this, for this podcast and there's F's like all over the place. There's D's. I got, I failed gym. Like I, oh, I was that kid. Actually, because impressive. I didn't go. I didn't go. It's impressive, but it's yeah. I mean, I just was so like yeah. checked out, you know, emotionally and and with the cannabis and stuff and like yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I ended up at UMass Amherst. I barely lasted half a semester, and that's kind of when I came home and really told my parents what was going on. Where mm. where I was just was like, look, I wake mm. up every day, I get high, I can't even eat uh, without getting high. I can't leave my room. Um, you know, and, and yeah, so I mean, dropped so out. what, what, what was their reaction to that? Like, were they aware at, at, at all that that was they happening? They had been aware for a couple of years that I was like getting high. So, I mean, right. it's kind of a, not to bring too much humor into a very serious topic, but the first time my parents found out I got high, I threw a giant party at their house. Uh, and not like they didn't go away for the weekend. They went to a different town for the night to like a Shadi or something uh, <laughs> in like Framingham, Massachusetts. And I, I called like, you know, what happens in high school, you tell eight people, they tell 10 people and then 50 people showed up to my parents, you know, oh, house. And they came back early because my mom wasn't feeling well. And I was, you know, so that's kind of where they figured out that, Oh, this is like what I'm doing. But my dad being the kind person that he is the next day, instead of like grounding me, he made me a binder like a printout binder about the negative effects of marijuana. And he trusted that I would like give the weed back to the <laughs> drug dealer from home. Oh so I'm just giving you some, you know, my parents have That's never smoked awesome. a cigarette. Oh, they have God, never really. done anything bad, mm. you know? And so they didn't come from mm -hmm. a, a time or a place where I think they had, were ready to have any sorts of conversations like these. And it was just right. kind of like, but mm. right away, you know, they, um, we talked to my primary care doctor. Then I got a, a therapist. We tried a couple of things, uh, you know, and he's, he put me on some medication and stuff. And, um, I started seeing this therapist. I think that was around the time I first started maybe going to meetings, but it was still weird because I was like, wait, why am I at these meetings? I just smoked some weed, you know, cause I thought for me that I was just like, you know, I can't possibly be, I'm not like an opiate user. Like I can't have an addiction right. problem or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just was like, this is whatever, um, but, uh, but yeah, they, 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 I think like, sorry, they, um, they heard me, they were terrified. Um, and we quietly suffered with this as a family for, for many years, I think until it wasn't until later that they, I think even started to open up to their friends about like what was going on. Mm, mm. Mm -hmm. and, and, and was this around the time that you reconnected, uh, with Bossom? Uh, who so not you it was a couple of years before that so the, i i okay. reconnected with Basim probably so that would have been 2004 so i would have been i just turned 21 uh the you the first attempts at college were around 18 19 so i, I was oh, okay. 18 i turned 18 a month after 9 11 uh, my birthday's in october um so it was a couple of years of trying to like go to a different, like a local school, like a commuter college, UMass Lowell instead of Amherst, which is closer to where we grew up and kind of like going, staying whatever clean, uh, for 
not getting high for a little while and then talking to this therapist and then taking some classes and then just doing the whole cycle again and dropping out. And then, so yeah, it was uh, a few years later um, that uh, I reconnected with Basim and um, we kind of like tossed around the idea of playing some music together. So, hmm. and, and was that, so, okay. So now we're obviously Boston being your co-founder for the Camina. So was that um, like a, a, just kind of like an organic thing that developed that you guys were just jamming and then you're like, Hey, maybe we should put a name to this and do some Honestly, shows. Boston, Boston, like just had this idea, like he already had been in a, this amazing, um, I guess, goth band, a goth punk band <laughs> called Malice in Leatherland. Uh, cool, they had already okay. <laughs> done some touring and stuff. And he kind of like him and I, yeah. So we first met way back in the day um, at Sunday school uh, yeah. with another guest that you had on the show last week, my, my childhood friend, Abdullah Saeed. And uh, we all kind of met in, uh, at the Masjid when we were like 15, 14 or 15. I went up the lowest living in, in Massachusetts for a little bit. Um, but then we all sort of lost touch. Um, and Basim kind of like, be, he was the kind of like a punk kid, a goth kid and stuff in high school. So he had started this band. He had already kind of like toured with this band a little bit. So when he so when he kind of came back into my life or whatever, um, actually, you know what? I think I saw him. I actually saw him. So the year that I dropped out of UMass Amherst, my dad took me to see Dream Theater, that prog rock band Dream Theater. So okay. those first few weekends I was at UMass Amherst. And Bossum was outside of that concert in a leather in his leather jacket, his purple shirt, smoking a clove cigarette. And I remember he had his like ponytail <laughs> with like a his strand of hair, and he just was Classic. smoking the cigarette. And I remember saying hi to him, being like, "Hey, man!" And my dad obviously took me to the concert. Bossum was cool, came with his friends. I was a loser there with my dad or whatever, or so I thought at the time. I mean, in retrospect, my dad. Yeah, yeah that's like dream that's theater concert. Dope, to be honest, so. But we got back in the car and my dad, I remember the one thing he said was, it didn't look like he was smoking the right kind of cigarette. That's what I remember. So I'm sorry. I just threw that in there. It's random. It's I love that. There. No, that's amazing. But that was technically the, right the first time like, I saw so, Bossom. So yeah. So Asif, your research is correct. That was the first time you reconnected with Bossom after. Yeah. yeah after you're right. Back wow. To um, he knows you better than you know you. Yeah, exactly. It was, I guess, so yeah, it was a couple of years later when we both were at UMass Lowell, both having dropped out of college that Got it. he walked into the library and, you know, the connection was made. And very soon he was like, yeah, you know, I'm doing this other band, but I want to do something that's focused on, you know, identity on um, maybe some, um, uh, so just something a little bit different. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where the mm -hmm. idea, and he had the name Gaminas uh, was his, was his idea. And uh, so he kind, of, he kind of had like, yeah, it is. It's a awesome it's name. Awesome. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> so is Malice in Leatherland, but you know, I think yeah, Camino's, oh, in terms of the kind of band we <laughs> would later become, it's still the perfect, perfect name. So uh, on that on that point, um, you know, obviously with a name like Camina's, you, you kind of are making a a statement, and then B, obviously you're going to have some sort of South Asian type influence, right? Being a mm -hmm. Urdu Hindu Hindi, you know, type of a type of a, a name. Um, was was the intention from day one to be a certain type of band i.e that kind of fusion between south asian influence and you know rock punk rock or or was it more to be hey we 
just like this name and we're going to make music and then whatever comes of it comes of it. I think, um, I think that it was sort of like, a is confluence the right word of like being who we were at that time. So 2004, 2005 war on terror, Iraq war, three years after nine 11, all this shit is going on. And of course you're going to, that's the shit is that is like first on your mind, you know? And so I think we very intentionally had stuff that we wanted to talk about. Um, I think what ended up happening sort of a little bit out of our control was that uh, we sort of became these like Muslim punk, you know, Mm. whatever. uh, I don't want to say heroes, but like... uh, Icon? The word is escaping. Yeah, yeah, the I, sure. yeah, icon. Icon, sure. I would say. Yeah. The, sure. Like the model, yeah, you were like the trailblazers, yeah, trailblazers, right? So, as if we're the mm. first people that are saying stuff like this, which is not not really true. But in terms of, it made a very sort of good media story. It, it's not that it wasn't like I think. So it's been almost. We've been a band now for almost sixteen years, and I think in retrospect, like by this point, like. I'm cool with it, you know, like I'm cool with how people found out about since about uh, about <laughs> I'm cool with how people found <laughs> out about us and stuff. But um it it was t- it's all you know, we're not the f- only band in the world that has ever had a problem with like being labeled, right? So it's mm-hmm. not like something mm-hmm. that is just unique to us, but one thing that happened sort of right away was um being this kind of like uh, a lot was put on us, you know, like I think now we have all these conversations about representation, right? About um, who's the seats at the table and stuff. And like, and you know, there's a, it, things look a lot different in 2021 for whatever, you know, a brown creator, a Muslim creator, a creator of color, uh, a musician of color uh, than they did in 2000 or a prom, you know, I don't want to say, but like, like people that were in like quote unquote pop culture. So mm. back then we didn't even have like an album before we had a review in Rolling Stone magazine. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't even have a, mm-hmm. a, a record fully done before there were featured articles about us in like papers, like all over the world. And it was like, yeah, man, it was really cool, but it was like a lot. And it was like too much, mm-hmm. <laughs> like right away. And mm-hmm. I, I think that we were figuring, we were figuring out the answer to the question that you originally kind of asked me, right? Like as it was happening in real time. So that was kind of the challenge. Um, And like that film, right? That like, yeah, it captures this, this moment in time and yeah, all those things happen, but it's just like, just like it tells like one thing and it, it it almost like exists within itself and it, it creates itself. And then before you know it, like half the bands have broken up and you know, the, the scene was kind of like, or like if it was a scene, it was stuff that we all kind of were friends and did on our own. And we had our little like MySpace and live journal groups and stuff. But like before we were all kind of figuring each other out, like people were like writing about us, like academics were writing about us, you know, and it was like, it was crazy. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's weird also to talk about it in the past tense because we still exist. <laughs> we just played a show on Friday. Right. And we still oh, nice. grapple with a lot of these issues, right? Having non-Muslims in the band almost since its inception. Yeah. Uh, Non-Pakistanis. Mm-hmm. In the, if you go to the Wikipedia page right now, I think it still says, you know, it doesn't credit our like non-Pakistani members and stuff. And like, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's weird, man. It's, it's weird being a, ba- <laughs> being a band that started also kind of what 
sort of right when social media was like becoming a thing as to like, as opposed Mm -hmm. to like what it is now. Um, But I like to think Mm -hmm. that we have definitely like, and I know this because people have told us how how important uh, we were to them and and stuff. And like, I'm, I'm really proud of like the stuff that we've done. I just think it's like, I sometimes feel uh, like I, I need to say kind of all the other stuff that happened. And I was also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of my own shit at the time, like mental health stuff, and yeah. addiction, <laughs> yeah. and all these crazy things. And so. so, and so in that vein of like the representation piece, like, cause you kind of mentioned that like it, it had an impact on you as a child to like not see yourself represented. And that was part of, part of the struggle with identity. And so I'm wondering like when you kind of made this band and I realize that, you know, you just explained how you guys were kind of like put in a box and you didn't really have a lot of freedom to say like, this is who we want to be. This is what we want to do. This is the kind of impact that we want to have as much as you would have liked. But I wonder like how much of that, representation was almost like for yourself as much as for other people to be able to be like like this is who like i i can be this like we can be this you know like there's no yeah that that's a great question no i mean and i mean the thing the thing that happened almost right away was we found all the other kids like us right mm-hmm. like we, we we started playing shows and like meeting all the people that i wished that i was friends with growing up so that maybe i wouldn't <laughs> have had that art of a time so, I mean, in that sense, yeah, it was deliberately like to to stay sane, you know, into like a self-care or thing or whatever of sorts. And that was the coolest part about and still is the coolest part about our band, I think, is that it's not just like going to see a show. Like, look, we're not some big famous, you know, band. We have our indie thing. You know, we're not on like a big label or whatever. But like anytime we go anywhere we play, there's a little bit of a built in audience. People come they hang with you after, you know, you go get food, you hang out. Uh, and it's not just like, I don't know how to describe this, but it's not just like hanging out with like a band after a show. It's like you build meaningful connections and I've built kind of like lasting friendships with people all over the world that that to this day, you know, I could, I can go to any, not any, but I can go to a lot of cities and just like link up with somebody that, that was part of this really, really, something super special uh both for me and them you know and it connected us and forever mm-hmm. kind of like cemented mm-hmm. our relationship in time so so yeah i mean in that sense it was it was absolutely um a selfish <laughs> and i mean you know like i think like um but and, and i wonder yeah. what you think about this like to, in that regard then is all art not selfish or is like or is that kind it's of selfishness sure. it, not it like an be, actually a really good thing that that doesn't mean it's not necessary, right? Like for sure. No, I mean, 100%. I think all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think all art comes from a uh I, I think I don't want to say all art. I, maybe I can just say my art or art that mm-hmm. I've been a part of. But yeah, it, it comes from trying to figure out your place in the world and you know whether the selfish portion of that is trying to leave some kind of an impact. We could probably talk about the degree of selfishness or narcissism or whatever like yeah i mean it's cool to like hold a guitar and like jump around on stage and stuff that stuff is really fun but at the same time like that's the most normal i ever feel you know it's like so what Mm -hmm. does that mean Mm -hmm. you know don't i deserve that and um and i know that the energy that comes from that and and uh fulfill something else in people you know um just just on friday Mm -hmm. so we had our first gig after two years because of covid basically 
and you know it was a hometown show well hometown for me and Boston. well for three of, got, of us in the band me Boston, and Karna were from the boston area uh, hassan sunny uh, is from philly um we were playing this kind of local uh, underground indie fe- uh, festival and just people from all walks of life but also like all stages of the kamina's career were there you know like <laughs> people that were literally at the first show we ever did um to like the work friends that i I quit my full-time job three years ago to like do creative stuff more like they came, you know, like people from like my life in recovery came like, and it was just, it was an amazing reminder of, and especially because I've been on this like journey with my show or whatever. um, It was just amazing to kind of see like all of those people at the same time. And also just because I hadn't done a, you know, and had a gig and with Kamina's in a couple of years. So it was, it, it was a reminder of, I think exactly like, what you're saying that like, yeah, this is a thing that, um, I do do for myself, but it also like means something to people and that, and that's special. You know, I don't, I think that that's something that maybe, um, not all bands get to do in that way. Certainly, you know, every kid that wants to like be in a band growing up, like they don't get to necessarily do the kinds of the the things that we've done. So, um, so uh, early, I guess, um, relatively early in the in the Kamina's life you you and um Basim decided to move to Pakistan for a period what um what motivated what motivated that decision so technically um Basim left because I couldn't get my shit together so okay. Basim graduated from college um and he got a job offer at um uh at, at a news channel uh, in Pakistan to pursue his other passion, which is journalism. Mm. And around that, so this would have been 2007. So we had just done, um, the first big tour, which is, I think the, which is the first half of that documentary. Um, and at the end of that, uh, I, I kind of like fell back into like addiction stuff and I, I stopped showing up for gigs and things like that. And he kind of like, was like, well, I don't know what's going to happen with this thing. So I'm just going to go to Pakistan. And mm-hmm. I stayed back, uh, you know, kind of did whatever for a bit. But I did manage to get our first album mixed, our first album, which was called Wild Nights in Guantanamo Bay. And then in early 2008, uh, I took a trip also to Pakistan that year. My, my daddy had passed away and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Basim basically was like, yo, why don't you come out here? Uh, because I feel like there's something we can do musically here that we were sort of maybe trying to do some of with the Kaminas in the U.S., but maybe we could start like a new band out here. Why don't you just come? Like, you're clearly like not doing okay. Just come over here like, you know. Uh, so that that's, you know, it, it wasn't like a mutual. It was literally like he went and I was like, oh, man, that looks cool. Maybe I'll follow you. <laughs> that's so that's kind of that's kind of how we both, we both ended up did, there. Did you feel um, comfortable there? Like, did you grow up visiting Pakistan yeah, a lot? So I grew it- up going. Yeah, I mean, I grew up going all the time, every couple of years. Uh, but but with family, right? So I didn't right. really know Pakistan outside of uh, family life and shadis and you know um, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So yeah. it wasn't, I think I, I was a senior or a junior in high school when I took my first trip by myself and I did st- mostly was family, but I spent like one night getting high with people and I was like, oh shit, 
you can do this here. And I mean, obviously you can do that there. That's like where the shit comes from. Um, but like, that was my first, like, kind of like, you know, being a, a, a teenager or whatever, or a young person, a young adult in Pakistan. But so after that, like a few years later, 2000, 2008 was my first, like, no, no, I, I went to Pakistan. Boston picked me up from the airport instead of my family, like they normally would. And we had an apartment, you know, tried, and that's kind of, um, but yeah, I definitely like, I, I was, I was very, very familiar. You know, I grew up speaking Urdu, a uh, decent right. amount of Punjabi too. So it wasn't like complete culture shock by any means. Okay. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and that's when you guys started um, Noble Drew, right? You, you decided yes, not to yes, call Yes, yes. You it have done Punjabi. your research. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 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 and the reason you guys decided not to call it the Kaminas, I mean, I assume a part of it is because it was just the two of you and not, not the entire band, but was there some, was there other reasoning behind that or? Yeah. So, I mean, it was pretty deliberate. Um, so Noble Drew Ali, that, that comes from, um, you know, we, we had a, a pretty deep interest in, um, uh, the nation of Islam, uh, in the U S and, uh, reading a lot of that history and stuff. Um, but not using the Kaminas was also kind of a safety and security thing because our antics had found, you know, found the, their way into the press in Pakistan. And the interesting thing there was, that people there thought we were kind of this caricature that was making fun of Islam in the mm. U.S. And that's how mm. we realized very quickly that that's how it, what it was being positioned. You know, in the West, quote unquote, it was where, where this like antidote to like all the problems with the Muslim world were the cool punk Muslims. And this could only happen in the West, you know, very like Orientalist way of looking at the world. Right. We get to Pakistan mm. and we realize that that has turned into us oh these guys are blasphe- you know blaspheming against like the prophet and stuff and again it wasn't like the very small like elite circle of people that you know read english language newspapers or whatever so i don't want to say that we like everybody knew who we were by any stretch of the imagination but it was enough to mm-hmm. to kind of be like you know maybe we don't want to <laughs> be this band here you know maybe we yeah. want to do something else turn so. the heat down a little bit yeah yeah and you know like that's it's that's something that i i'm wondering because it's not something that you didn't struggle with double negative but it's something you struggled with as well i would assume here in like north america too i mean i remember seeing a youtube clip of you guys having an argument with an imam i don't know where but but just about how he you know the idea of you guys doing something that in his interpretation was haram right and and having this label of you know and and again so so two questions that come out of this one you know what what knowing that you guys yourselves are just trying to do something creative while also living your lives as muslims or as individuals or as you know non-muslims or whoever was in that group how did it feel to have to answer to this broader you know this label that was being placed upon you guys as like this quote-unquote muslim punk rock band or like taqwa core like what what was was that something that you guys embraced or was that something that you felt uncomfortable about? Uh, so that would be my first question. And then the, the, the second part of that was when you kind of came into Pakistan um, and you saw, you, you know, you're, you're facing this idea of you guys being represented or being presented as, as somewhat blasphemous. Um, you know, what, was that something that then shaped the way that you guys decided to write music with Noble Drew as well? Or was it just, I, let's just 
get under the radar a little bit. Yeah, I mean, in terms of your first question, yeah, it it, it was not easy. It, it caused a lot of friction right away, you know, in terms of like, uh, which band members got asked questions in interviews, right? It was yeah. pretty much only the Muslim band members that people wanted to talk mm-hmm. to. Um, it, uh, so yeah, it, it, it sucked to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. It was really, really tough in the beginning. Yeah. Um, I think it's only now that we have not been able to like solve that problem, but just understand it on a bit of a deeper level in terms. And, mm-hmm. and now honestly, there, we get to talk to like, a lot less white journalists. <laughs> I don't want to just, you know what I mean? No, I was just going to say it's 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 an interesting dynamic because we've spoken to, you know, obviously a lot of Muslim artists and all sorts of different creative endeavors and you know, we were talking to Danish Makbul not too long ago who's like an up and coming comedian and he was he was talking about how him being Muslim has like been an amazing in with the kind of the comedy world because now he can do like these M, uh, MSA shows and like ISNA yeah. conventions and like gets in through Rami and like all these guys who just give him a leg up because he is a fellow Muslim community. You guys, like you mentioned, were trailblazers in like quote unquote, like again, without trying to label you guys, no, no, it's but, cool. but it's within fun. this like yeah. South Asian sort of like uh, Muslim membered uh, punk rock band, right? So it's not like yeah. you were already in an ecosystem which you could then leverage by being South Asian or by being Muslim. You guys were like literally paving the way. Um, But was there ever an opportunity for you guys to leverage that in a positive way? Like, were you guys able to advance the Kaminas because like, you know, because you guys were so unique and so like able to leverage that publicity? Um, Do you think that it helped in any way or was it strictly something where you're like, man, I do not want this label? Look, I mean, of course it helped. I mean, it's the reason we played these festivals that we had no business playing. You know what I mean? Like we, Bossom made this joke uh, that he was like, people were asking us like, how are you doing this without a manager? Like with just your (laughs) Gmail account, how are you getting invited (laughs) to play these festivals all over the world? Um, you know, so yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it helped us like in that sense, I think one big, uh, sort of internal shout out that we got that helped us a lot was DJ Reka in uh, New York. She's a really, mm-hmm. really dear friend of mine, but she was, I would say the first quote unquote Brown or Desi or South Asian, you know, big, uh, person, uh, the influence in, 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 in the world to like, let us play her basement Pangra party to, to invite us to do that. Yeah. And once we did that, that was kind of our in to, to a different sort of like community there. So I think that even though all of these struggles were going on, like we were still a band, you know, that was like writing songs. We actually have five albums now. So that was the other thing, which was interesting, like, because the first album got so much publicity. And then I think the, after that in 2015, our album stereotype, um, got, I think a lot of publicity. Also people sort of forget that there were like albums in between those two. So this whole, I mean, there was content was being produced, you know? Um, but, um, yeah. What was your second question? Oh, back, way back in the day, yeah. Uh, that was uh, that was more about with Noble Drew, right? Um, yeah. If you guys in, 
also wanted to change sort of the type of music you're making. So I think for, so I don't, so for example, for me, like I'm, I don't write lyrics. So uh, in terms of the lyrical content of the music, I know Basim, uh, even on Kamina's second album, uh, he had, uh, he was trying to get better at Punjabi. Um, so when he, he, when we eventually got to Pakistan, he wanted to kind of immerse himself in everyday, like, working class struggles uh, of like the average Pakistani. So, you know, we had just a song about like the bullshit people have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, like not having power half the day, like load shedding as it's called. Um, (laughs) So yeah, there was definitely, um, well, I think one thing we quickly realized there also was that like, we were kind of outsiders there, you know, like we just sort of showed up Mm. and we were like, it's one thing to like be, you know, a MySpace punk band. Maybe that's what I'll call us now. We're a MySpace punk band. A MySpace <laughs> punk band in the US um, where, you know, you sort of understand the, the the you know, the system, quote unquote, I guess. And then show up in Pakistan. I remember the first night, like, we were with uh, a couple of, like, pretty prominent artists. And we were, like, talking shit about, like, Coke Studio or whatever, right? And being like, oh, well, you know, it's corporate, it's all f- bullshit like you guys should just start your own thing and they're like dude do you know how hard it is to put on a concert in this country right now like do you understand that there are no labels here so like all you can do is like and these companies like pay artists and stuff and so it was just interesting to like yeah to to try and and understand um understand that world and then realize that hey maybe like Maybe we don't know what the f- we're talking about. <laughs> so maybe we should step back for a second. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah. And and so I also just like having kind of that dual, like holding that dual position. It's almost like you have like double the criticism to deal with, like mm-hmm. then then just a, like a other punk band because it's almost like you have like the music. And like criticism of like the music from like the punk community that are like, are you a good punk band or not? And then you have like the criticism from like the Muslim community being like, are you good Muslims or not? Are you good? Dude, Muslim I'm telling you, we had we had like academics. There are people that literally did their dissertations in college on our <laughs> band. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm not. I, there are like people published books and stuff, and like it was so much. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to. I mean, yes, and so yes. Like, and so like w- w- like was one of those voices louder and like how did you manage that was one of which voices louder like was it like the punk like were you accepted by the punk community or was there ever any criticism about like the music or was that like fine and it was mostly just like other muslims who were like yo we have things I, to say no i th- i think the the criticism was more and i think this maybe now that i'm thinking of it is a social media thing um, is more about like, obviously as an artist, you're always maybe going to think about like, how, how am I presenting myself? You know, how am I being represented this and that? But um, Mm -hmm. I don't think the music, like seeing us lot, like there was no issue with us as a live band. So I think that we always knew that we had the musical chops. I think that one thing that became hard was that we always wondered if it like was about, like, was the music even important? Was it more, Awesome talks about this a lot, but like, is it just the, the idea that I exist that's important? You know, the fact like, or is it, is what I'm doing actually important? Or is it that the fact that I exist, is that all that really matters? I think the cool thing now is 15, 16 years later, I think, um, 
we have been, and I think our live shows have gotten a lot better. We've become a lot better as musicians. Um, so we've been able to kind of like, we know that we're like good enough ourselves, you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. like, and what I think what I was trying to allude to earlier, like earlier was that like, it's okay if we check this box for this person, if we check this box for this person in the same right. way as like, it's okay to be like both a, an American, be a Pakistani, be all these things, um, because we like have a stronger sense of, of who we are. Um, yeah. which is, I think that, I think that's something that you're, you're constantly redefining for yourself. It's not really something that is ever like finished, at least not for mm -hmm. me, but, um, I do think that, um, with time and, you know, age, <laughs> like <laughs> some of that stuff, like resolves itself a little bit, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we touched on like for the band, for the Kaminas, this like duality between, you know, trying to, you know, straddling between these two worlds. For you personally at that time, you actually touched on this in, in, in your first episode of King of the World about how, you know, you, you were having some internal conflict as well as, as it relates to balancing your actions, you know, outside of the music even um, with your faith. And was, was that something that um, – w w was that a driving force behind you deciding to then take a break from from music no i or, took a break or, to get sober i yeah. took a break because i was completely out of control um and mm. i was in a really rough rough spot so that's the reason i left the band for four years was just yeah. to legit get sober um but that being said um the faith thing i think one thing the the caminas and all this muslim punk media stuff did was it it did allow me to realize that like there are many ways to be like one thing I, I think I say in the show as well is just like, you know, nine 11 made it so that being a Muslim is all of a sudden the most important part of who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in the world. So, uh, with that a few years later then realizing that like, okay, well maybe there isn't just like, I have this narrow idea of what is, what is a Muslim? It's a, it's a Pakistani, mm -hmm. like my idea of it relates to being, you know, Pakistani being, middle upper middle class um you know going to like one the one mosque that i went to you know like having you know so that's kind of like my narrow idea mm -hmm. of what it means to be muslim which is completely like leaves out you know the rest of the world uh but like i think that the faith stuff um it it i struggled a lot with it definitely those first few years in aa um, just because again, again, like not knowing that like <laughs> one of the largest, uh, communities in narcotics anonymous is in Iran, you know, like in oh, the wow. back of the NA textbook, there are literally chapters written by indigenous folks, by, um, by Muslim folks, by a sick, uh, person, by like all by, um, by someone on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Uh, and like, so um, sorry, I like completely lost the question that you asked me. <laughs> no, no, I we, I was just asking about the the, the challenges or the, the the struggles I guess you would had behind between your faith as well as you know the actions that you were going through being part of the band, um, and then later as to whether or not that was a driving force behind you having to take a break. But okay, yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. 
and then I said, yeah, I mean, the break, the yes. break literally yeah, was sobriety, break, right. but, but intertwined yeah. in that always is the faith. Right. I, th I think that, of you know, course. it was, and then through getting sober, I, you know, definitely became more, um, okay with just sort of being on that constant, like journey part of it, not to like be too much of that kind of a person, I guess. Uh, but like, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? But like, but yeah, it's, it's <laughs> getting sober helped me realize where I fit in, in, you know, in my idea uh, and, and just like, like, I don't have to hide. Like one thing I would do yeah. a lot is I would say like, Oh, I grew up Muslim. You know, when people would ask me if I was Muslim, um, just because I just didn't feel right saying it, even, even with the Kaminas and stuff like, and for, you know, being in that band, it was easy to hide behind this character a lot, you know, like to be like, yeah, I'm in this, like for those first couple of years, like, I'm in this band um, and I'm like this person here on this day, but like deep down inside, you know, when, when everything is like over and you're just like alone with yourself, you're really just like, am I even like Muslim? Like, what, what like, is, is it just, what does that even mean to me? Is it more, is it just in name? Is it just because I'm too afraid to like explore other shit type thing? You know what I mean? But like now I've, I've resolved it enough to be like, it, it's not, that being that faith part, it's, it's, it's not what I thought it was when I was like eight years old, you know, it's, it's just like something completely different. So I'm not as like, I'm not as stressed about it. And it's kind of funny. Like I went to Pakistan, uh, I've been a couple of times, uh, in the past few years, um, most recently, um, in January of 2020, right before COVID. And, um, I remember I was walking around with my uncle, my mamu, and he, it was like time for, um, either Asr or Maghrib or one of the, one of the prayers. And he, he sort of assumed that I like wouldn't, and you know, over there you can just, there's masjids everywhere. You could just pray anywhere. And, um, well, if you're a man, let me say that you can pray. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, uh, so he, he, he just, we had had like lunch or something and he, he was like, Oh, I'm going to go pray, but you don't have to come. Like just thinking that I wouldn't want to go. And I was like, no, no, I'll, I'll come with you and I'll, and I'll do it. And I realized in that moment that like, it's not such a big deal over there. It's just a thing you do. Whereas here for right. me, still going into a masjid, you know, like uh, if, even if it's on Eid or whatever, I just have never felt particularly at home there. But I mean, I also realized, um, another friend of mine, um, Ahmed, who's the host of that, see something, say something show. He once, yeah. you know, talked about how for him, like moving to New York and finding, a a masjid that's where he like found faith for himself when it was like no this is like what mm -hmm. um what it can look like for me i haven't necessarily like found that level of it for myself but like but you, you know what i mean like it, it wasn't in yeah. the moment that i was like with my mamu like it was cool and yeah. i just did it and like i just like went on with the rest of my day and it and i didn't have to like think yeah. at like an epic level like what does <laughs> this mean does this mean like I'm like a great Muslim now or like, am I going to go home and, you know, like pray every day or whatever? And, um, yeah, yeah. no, it, 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 it's, 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 you know, and, and I don't know, we've had, I've had this conversation with people before and it's, it's, it's always interesting when it's people who, uh, when you compare people who grow up in like, a uh, like a more of a, like a Muslim country compared to, you know, the quote unquote the West, right? And oftentimes yeah. you've got people who like take their Muslimness and like make it their defining characteristic in the West. Yeah. Or you've got people who are like, like you said, right? Where it's like, oh, I grew up Muslim and like they try to distance themselves a little bit from it, right? Yeah. Whereas in those more Muslim countries, it's just 
a thing that happens as well as yeah. everything else that happens within the country. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not overly surprising that, you know, I don't know. I just feel like it does become a bit more of a common thread here, especially with people, um, who are in more pioneering industries for, for lack of mm. a better word that like sure. that identity becomes so much more prevalent in what they're doing. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, whether you want it or not, you're going to become identified in some way by your faith because of that. Yeah, it, also, is, it also makes me wonder too, like how much of like my faith, your faith, like as like a first generation kid here kind of thing. Like I wonder like how much of my faith is colored by the community that I'm a part of. Because when I think about right. like people who, who have distanced themselves, oftentimes it's from like trauma from the community. Like they are not accepted for who they 100%. are within the community here. So that's just, that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah for sure. no, for sure. I, I think it's very colored by the, uh, the community that I, that I grew up with, you know, as mm-hmm. I said, the Pakistani upper, upper, I, and I like to say that, upper middle class Pakistani um, community of Boston because it just, it leaves out a whole swath of people, you know? Well, you know what? And it's like, that's not to make this about us, but within the Oscars, <laughs> that's like a big realization that we even had over the years, right? Is that our target demographic within the Muslim community, if you will, was like a very small sliver of the yeah. fact that there is you know, a big black Muslim population that we had yet to tap into, that there was a massive, you know, Southeast Asian Muslim population, not just South Asian Muslim population. There was, you know, there's indigenous Muslims that we have yet to actually have like any sort of real connection with. And like, so, you know, that's, and then there's like different sects within Islam. Like, so, you know, that's a big component of it too, is that like, we are far from that small sliver that we think and it's kind of weird right because it's this thing that like i don't know when you would get excited as a kid learning that somebody famous was muslim right automatically yeah. you're like oh man yeah man <laughs> but honestly maybe you don't have anything in common really i don't know although uh we had lots of nasser a couple of weeks ago and as soon as oh, Sophia found out, i'm such a fan Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, as soon so, as Sophia yeah. found out Huge that he was fan. Yeah. As soon as Sophia found out that he was a smiley and, and Sophia's also a smiley, they had like a moment. They were like we, amazing. We are part of the club. And I was like, okay, yeah. Oh, I gotta listen to that episode. I to, to, full disclosure, I listened to Abdullah's episode just to prep a little bit for uh, okay, this to, okay. to, to get your vibe, but I, I'm gonna definitely check that one out too. Yeah, he's what awesome. was our vibe? What would you say he'd describe our vibe? <laughs> I, I, just that you like I remember you asked him about like his favorite drummer, and I was like, All right, okay. This is gonna be oh, yeah. this is gonna be a good time. So hell I, yeah. I was so happy with that response because Chad Smith is yeah. definitely my and favorite. And I was drummer. also like right before he said it, I was like, I know he's gonna say Chad from three eleven. I know he's gonna say Chad from three eleven. And then he said no, it, it was and Chad. I was like, I knew it. Was, it. it was it was Chad for the chili peppers. He also no, said Chad three eleven. That's right. He did that's say right. Both. He first he did said say Chad, both. but then he was like, Hey, I like three eleven because I know that because me and him used to yeah. like listen to that shit together. So. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, I mean if you yeah three eleven sublime that entire that was great. Yeah, that man. was good stuff. Yeah, then. yeah. We we got um, the fact check from Asif as well, who's like, guys, he said both. So yeah. <laughs> both Chads were mentioned the for chat. the record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've that's got amazing. that good fact check going. 
Um, so I guess uh, another question that I kind of had was in one of your interviews, you kind of mentioned like that people of color, uh, like have more power now than they've had in previous generations to tell their own stories or to like kind of share mm-hmm. our own, like speak our own narratives. And so I wonder, like, do you think that like the power comes from barriers being fewer or are they just different? And like, so, yeah. um, Again, this is just my observation. I'm speaking on behalf of myself. Um, (laughs) Now, I remember, for example, being a kid in the 90s, my favorite shows were Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Family Mm -hmm. Matters, right? All black shows about black families. But they were still, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, they were still kind of like, I don't want to say like white gazy or or like sister, sister, or like, it's not that, it's not that they these these things didn't like exist. It's just that in terms of like uh, what they were maybe positioned in opposition to, it just was like a smaller, you know, whatever pool of stuff. I, I hope I'm not getting some of these facts wrong. Uh, in terms of, I guess, like, quote unquote, Muslim, quote unquote, brown stuff, there really wasn't a whole lot going on from what I can remember. Um, mm-hmm. I think that... Uh, you know, you take a show like Rami, I could never have imagined that as a mm-hmm. kid. Even when we started, I mean, even 10 years ago, I never could have mm-hmm. imagined a show like that. Uh, I never could have. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I think that like something has changed. I think also there's just a lot more stuff out there. You know, like it's not as much about like, watching you know one of even on cable maybe one of like 40 channels you know now like people can kind of like make shit and just like put it out there um so i think that has presented a lot more opportunity to just like make cool shit yourself um that being said like i mean i'm a newer actor so i mean i've only been um really seriously pursuing it for i would say three or four years i'm in boston you know not gonna lie there's not that many you know opportunity you know i still get some pretty questionable auditions you know a lot and i'm i'm, mm-hmm. I'm in a place now where i can I, luckily like there's i have a lot going on in life that i don't you know say yes to everything anymore and stuff um but i'm definitely like uh i'm and i'm now that i'm putting i feel comfortable putting that out uh, about myself because i've been for so long just like you know Kamina's musician um now people are like oh you you do that too and so like now i, I feel like i'm reaching out more and, and, and I'm getting to, to do some interesting things, but like, um, you know, like I just, uh, did a small film in New York about gentrification, which was like the first film that I ever did in New York. And again, it's like an mm. indie, like whatever, but it was like a cool experience for me. So being on that set, you know, being directed by like a woman of color, like that's like a pretty big deal to me. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think that it's still not the norm by far. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, my first audition, <laughs> uh, I uh, joked with Riz about this one time. I, I this was like in 2015. Um, I they were doing a film about naturally the Boston Marathon bombing. So there was actually two films that they did about that. And I at the time I was in a, um, a theater troupe here in Boston, which focuses on, uh, storytellers that are in recovery. So every it's called the, they were formerly called improbable players. Now they're called second act, but anyway, all the actors are in recovery and you do, you know, it was, it was somewhere to kind of like gain confidence as in, in on the stage and stuff. And so we would go to middle schools and high schools, do these, 
you know, pretty short plays and then have like a talk back with students where we'd share our own stories. I remember once um, uh, an Iraqi girl stood up. She hadn't understood anything that I said, but she had her translator say, come tell me afterwards that just the fact that uh, I heard you say something about Muslim was amazing to me. Mm. Um, this was in like a, a middle school, mm. but I was, but I was in this audition. It was for a, um, again, like a cab driver role. And I didn't initially, when my friend asked me to come and read for it, I said like, why, what about me makes you think that like, I would go and like read for something like that. And then it was like, you know, I've never done this before. And I just saw that episode of master of none about Indian actors. <laughs> and I just kind of wanted to see how awful it was. Like, there was no way I was going to do, you know what I mean? Like, I just was like, I just kind of need to see this shit for myself. I'd never been in a casting session ever before. And so I went there and it was, you know, three, uh, four uh, white uh, casting folks here in Boston. And they basically like, I, first thing, you know, you pick up the sides. Uh, my friend was like, can you do a Pakistani accent? That's why she asked me to do the audition. And I showed up. It says Arab <laughs> cab driver. Oh, so she comes out. I'm like, yo, so I don't think these people know the difference. Uh, but I think I know what what I, I hate to say that I know what I think they want and what am I supposed to She's like, just do whatever you think. And then I do the thing and it's awful. You know, I feel disgusting. And they're laughing and they're like, oh, could you just do something a little more Egyptian? Uh, and again, I'm just, I'm sure you have heard these stories millions of times. I'm not trying to like, people have done these for, but, but yeah, I think that like, hopefully now, for example, there's like the Muslim casting association, uh, um, Serena, I forgot her last name is, uh, is spearheading that there's this really cool effort from the pillars fund, uh, to mm -hmm. just be like, yo, we're literally going to give people money to like mm -hmm. make shit. And we're going to have this mm -hmm. panel of like incredible judges like pick the best one i mean that's again this is stuff that i could never have imagined um 10 15 years ago um yeah so i, I want to say i mean entertainment is still hard you still have to like hustle to do it but I, I i do think it's it's pretty incredible that like finally like we whoever we are you know are seizing that for ourselves and just making the kind of shit that we want to do because that's kind of what we did with the Caminos, honestly, like we just made the music that we wanted to make and the totally. people that needed to hear it kind of found us. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, I mean, that's a great point. I remember like five, 10 years ago when it, when it came to that, like, you know, that content for us. Right. And again, whatever yeah. us means, it was, yeah. uh, you know, it was like you guys with the Caminas and like sweatshop boys. And like, that was, it was like yeah. music, but it was like very niche music for specific circles and specific yeah, even people, even right? i mean first meeting like riz for the first like yeah. we met uh right when his song post 9-11 blues came out we actually yeah. we met at the isna convention in 2006 <laughs> in yeah. chicago and just but just seeing that video i remember being like whoa like somebody mm -hmm. else is saying this kind of shit this is amazing yeah so, yeah like, yeah but I, yeah. I, I, you know, I wonder if now uh, people are, and we've had conversations with like Impact uh, Hollywood Bureau and like people in yeah. sort of more of the industry about this. And I wonder if people are just starting to realize that this is also marketable. You know what I mean? Like that same story, the same trope, the same garbage that has been pushed out for the last 15, 20 years. People are sick of it, right? And there is more yeah. diverse stories that 
people like you know Rami or even Mindy's new show on Netflix. Like they, they're they're marketable. They're they're you know they're well critically acclaimed. Dude, They've got I didn't an audience. Watch, if I'm honest with you, I didn't watch yeah. Rami until a white coworker. Who I never, who literally has a copy of like a oh, Bill O'Reilly book in her office, <laughs> oh, asked me if I oh, had seen Rami. <laughs> That's amazing. I will never for, like this. And yeah, I was. Uh, I I ended up when I got sober. I did get a master's in community psychology, and I worked in in like um, uh, for this company that uh, did work in addiction and prison reform and different stuff for a couple of mm-hmm. years. And I, yeah, I remember uh, one of my. Uh, in the first couple of months at, at the office, like, um, I'm not gonna say her name, but she came in and she just, you know, again, because I'm the brown dude in the office was like, have you seen that show Rami? And I was like, no, but people have been telling me to watch it. And that, that's kind of like, I went home and I, and I, and then, yeah. That's why so you're right. That's why it's totally marketable. Right. And, and to, you know, um, to move on to your other creative ventures here, Koya, I know we've we've already taken yeah. up so much of your time, but oh, no, um, no, this is a pleasure. We're just hanging yeah, out. Yeah, no, I'm having oh, a blast. <laughs> I'm basically great. sleeping over at my parents' house tonight because I okay. took my dad's super old Toyota Highlander to my mechanic because it'll pass inspection that way. Um, so I'm just <laughs> I'm just amazing. delaying. I'm just we've all got a guy. guys. So we've yeah. all got a guy. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I'm having, but I'm so okay. So King King of, King of the World podcast, which yeah. Uh, spoiler of spoiler alert for those who haven't figured it out is uh, your name Shah Jahan. Yes, Shah Jahan. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. How did it come about? Um, and uh, and why was it important for you to for you to to do this particular project? Yeah. So it came about, uh, I want to say at, uh, the perfect kind of next chapter of my life, it was the end of this very last difficult year that a lot of us had. Um, I think left a lot of us like questioning things. And, you know, I was in a, not by no means a dead end job, a great job, um, that I just didn't like. And it, I was not feeling creatively fulfilled. Um, it may surprise you to learn that the Caminas was never really a financially viable enterprise. <laughs> I mean, you know, we were able to like, we broke even for the last five years, which is pretty good. Uh, but so I, so a friend of my, a childhood friend of mine, Asad Butt, he, um, we sort of, we grew up in the same community. We weren't like best friends. You know, he was a few years older than me, uh, but we, our parents are, are really tight and stuff. So anyway, he'd been kind of like, following what I was doing, he was super into, into journalism. And then he got, uh, he left and kind of had a career in, um, venture capital and stuff, but he always wanted to get back to journalism type stuff. So he started this media company, Rafaelion, uh, last year. And he had one kind in order to kind of just have uh, a test sort of a show. He has this other show called American Muslim project, which is more of kind of like what we're doing, like an interview format show. He had me as I believe his second guest on the show, and at the end of our interview, he was like, yo, like I, I kind of, I'm at this weird point. I'm, I've started this new thing. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I kind of want you to be a part of it. So how would you like to host your own show? Uh, and I was like, dude, I am literally about to quit my job. I don't know like what <laughs> I'm going to do next. Um, I was actually driving uh, on the on the weekends. My wife suggested that she was like, dude, you are very unhappy. Why don't you literally just 
drive a van on the weekends for Amazon. I don't ever want to work for Amazon again for other ethical reasons, but they did help me uh, <laughs> sort this part of my life out uh, where I drove a van on the weekends and I was listening to podcasts and I was like happier than I ever was, like just doing something physical that was whatever. So in that time, Asad approached me with the idea to like host my own show. We started tossing around different ideas. Uh, as I said, I think at the beginning of our our interview here, I wasn't crazy about like the 9-11 thing, but we talked about it um, in terms of like my unique take on it. Uh, Asad originally had envisioned it as more of a, a news style show, but he was, but as soon as we started kind of fleshing out like my, as you have heard, my pretty, you know, nuts kind of life <laughs> that I've had, we were <laughs> like, what if we had me host it? and followed the, t the national and international timeline of the post 9 11 mm. world, but in the timeline of my life. So as I was mm. like, dropping out of college as I was as I was first finishing high school, because the first episode is literally about that day. Uh, as I was then, you know, dropping out of college, struggling with mental health, starting the Caminas, doing all this stuff, and do that sort of side by side with talking to different, uh, you know, different people like uh, historical experts, uh, actors, um, uh, you know, bloggers and journalists and, um, you know, even uh, folks that were like, unfortunately, victims of like, or uh, survivors of uh, hate crime survivors. Um, so we, yeah, we just started doing it. So I formally started working on it February of this year. And it's just been like, maybe the most incredible experience of my life up to this point just like being given the opportunity to do something like this and having like a team of people supporting me um you know it's like yeah i mean my name is on the show but it's not like me at all it's the whole company that's like helping and <laughs> co-producing the whole thing um and you know at the end of the day it's i'm really proud of it we really all are because you know you, you never know until you hear the end product like just like a a song you know you're you're worried about like oh am i gonna not like the mix on this or whatever but like Whoa. the response you know has just been overwhelmingly positive like it's just in terms of for everything from the stuff the nerdy stuff i'm psyched about which is like no the production is solid and like all the yeah. sounds are good to the the stuff that really means you know like like hearing from people in high school that i wouldn't have thought obviously my friends but like people that i haven't talked to in years here and hearing from like people in the community man like over the weekend was Assad's um wedding reception so they got married and then covid happened but it was his boston wedding reception and i can't tell you how many of those same aunties and uncles that i always thought like thought i was like the worst kid in the community came up to me and said thank you this one auntie she came up to me and said, if I had known any of this, I would have had your back from day one. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for saying the things that none of us like knew how to say, you know, and you know, it's, it's been quite a while that I have sort of been the kid in the local Desi community that like the parents will send, you know, the problematic kid to, to be like, Hey, Shah Jahan did some bad shit. You should just go talk to him. Maybe. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, but like, 
I'm just like overwhelmed. Like, I mean, I could, I could That's cry. Amazing. Like, uh, so it's, it, yeah, it's, yeah, and again, it, it's a DIY, not, not DIY, but yeah, it's DIY labor of love. We're not like on Spotify or, I mean, we are, the podcast is everywhere, but we're not like a big company. We're just trying to get this thing off the ground. It's all like super underground word of mouth, emailing, you know, posting and all that stuff and trying my best to like, I'm so bad at social media. I literally have a meeting tomorrow with one of our interns. She's going to help me uh, figure all this shit out because I'm just so bad. It's hard for me to partition social, like responsible, productive social media use from just the mindless scrolling, FOMO inducing, feeling bad about yourself thing that it can become. You know, I'm just, I, I haven't figured that one out yet. So I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> you and me both, man. Yeah, 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 same here. If you have tips <laughs> later, please. Uh, yeah, later. I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's the show's called King of the World. Um, and uh, I'm really, really, really super proud and, of it. I think it, yeah, just, yeah, it's been unbelievable. And it's a, it's a seven-part series, is that correct? Yeah, seven parts. So tomorrow, uh, sorry, today's Monday. So Wednesday, episode three will be coming out. So it's going to, there'll be new episode every Wednesday until my birthday, October 13th. I think we'll probably have a couple of bonus episodes. We're also going to be having a couple of live events. Uh, we're still kind of figuring out exactly um, how that works. The other cool thing I'll say about it real quick is each episode has an episode guide on this platform called Satori, uh, which one of our, um, one of my coworkers, Mona Baloch has put together, uh, where you can kind of like follow excuse me, uh, you can follow along uh, in the in the show and kind of see like on a little timeline, you can see like photos of me, you know, getting that first guitar uh, okay. or like, a you know, a photo of my dad or like a photo of like the minivan that we all rode around in this like Ford Windstar. So each episode has one of these really, really, and you know, it's meant for more educational stuff like Usad has a background in ed tech and stuff. And but I've, I've actually, a lot of people have told me that it's it's just a cool cool way to kind of like listen to the episode and, and see something else. Cool. In That's a really creative yeah. idea. Yeah. I'd That's have awesome. To we're we're going to start doing that. To everybody else. Yeah. We're going to start yeah. doing that with like Sophia and my timelines as we talk together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's cool. like this is sitting in my closet. Yeah. I didn't, when I first, I didn't, again, I didn't realize how, uh, how cool it would be initially when we were first talking about it, but it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. That's mm -hmm. incredible. That's awesome. Um, amazing. Shahjan, thank you so much for your time. Before we you fully, fully so wrap much. up here, we like to do, um, some rapid fire questions. Do you have All a few right. more minutes for us? Absolutely. Let me just take a sip of this, this Do water it. here. Yeah. Oh, Prepare, hydrate for the sporting mm -hmm. event that is about to take place. Um, so yeah, so we'll just ask you some questions. First thing that comes to mind. So the first one is a uh, movie or TV show that traumatized you as a child. Oh God. Um, uh, bah, bah, bah. David Lynch, um, uh, Mulholland drive. Ooh. Okay. Ooh, what about it? Any, yeah. I was going to oh, say, so I can say why. Oh, and yeah. I've sure. since watched it. It's not <laughs> scary at all, yeah. but there's this, there's this one scene where like, this dude just and I uh, I think it's a very badly portrayed indigenous person or something. Just sort of okay. so okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna like hop out of frame for a second. Like yeah. some, uh, someone turns a corner and he just sort of comes in like this, and then he like goes back. 
And he like, and he like goes back behind the wall, and that scared the shit out of me. So, yeah. All right, I gotta go find that clip. That's not scary even today. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number two, most rewatched movie, Home Alone. Or the first Home Alone, one? Detective. A Home Alone, oh, yeah. Solid question. Yeah. Both, both solid. Yeah. Both solid. Love it. Uh, the most expensive thing you've ever broken. The most expensive. What a good. My father's car. <laughs> <laughs> when I was sixteen, I destroyed the like <laughs> Volvo seven sixty turbo intercooler, which was gonna be my car, uh, because oh. I was speeding on the way to back to my um, math class, and it was snowing. At least so, yeah. it was for a good reason, you know? Yeah. I totaled it. Yeah. You're just like, I just yeah, that's, was that's trying really to get to math, man. Math class? There's better, there's worse things you could have been doing yeah, than going to math right. class. Definitely. That has to be it. Right on. Okay, number four. If you could only listen to one album for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh my God, are you really going to ask me that? <laughs> oh, DJ Shadow introducing. Okay. Solid. Okay. Right. Okay. And then finally, what is your favorite way to eat potatoes? So like mashed, scalloped, chips, fries, like uh, what's your Any jam? way that my mom makes them. Oh, okay. Because my mom That's a is, great answer. and I'm literally going to go right now and have them. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what how she's prepared them this evening? Yeah, I mean, she does, she does a really good like alukima thing. She's also really good with uh, eggplant bangan. Um mm. Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm a fan of sweet potatoes when I'm trying oh, to be like healthier and stuff. So uh, I do this. Um, uh, my mom believes it's uh, an abomination because I got it from the New York Times. But um, it's like a <laughs> sweet potato and like a uh, red, uh, red doll recipe that I mean, I think Ooh. it's pretty good. That sounds so good. I make, I make it in a pressure cooker. <laughs> it, it's like, it is yeah. Is sweet potato actually healthier or is this like something we just tell you ourselves? Know, I don't know. I think it may be something yeah. we just tell ourselves. But we no, I'm okay ourselves. with that. But I'm okay with that because I have read again it. from the internet, like who knows what we're reading. <laughs> you know, that either that that one is not healthier than the other. But I don't know. What were you gonna say? I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was well, I feel yeah. like it is healthier because like isn't because I, I just know my Nana would always eat half a sweet potato and like he knew things, you know, I don't know. So I feel like there had to be <laughs> a reason. Nana wisdom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, that old, old Nana wisdom. He had it. So, <laughs> yeah, so if Sophia's Nana said it, it must be true. Then it's facts. Sounds right. Sounds right to me. Amazing. Uh, Shahjan, thank you again so much for your time. Thank this you. was an absolute pleasure. Um, where can people find you and your work? Sure. So uh, you can find King of the World uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. Just type in King of the World Podcasts or find it on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher. Uh, as far as my stuff, you can find uh, I have a, a website now. So I, that Ooh. means I'm a, a real person, I guess. <laughs> That's official. Uh, <laughs> uh And on that, you can find all the links to everything. But And then Instagram, it's just at and then Shajasthan. Uh, same with, I just recently made a Twitter. I don't really have anybody on there. Like, just forgive me. Um, We're going to get you some followers. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. And then our whole board, uh, at least yeah, 30. 
Definitely. And then Caminas <laughs> were uh, on Twitter, uh, the real Caminas, because I don't know, one time somebody tried to steal I don't know. I don't even remember why that's a thing. <laughs> Uh, and, and, but then also I just started playing with a, a great band in Providence fronted by another Pakistani American dude, uh, Rafi Rashid, the band is called Ravi Shavi. Um, and I'm really pretty super excited about it. We're actually working on a bunch of, bunch of new music. Amazing. So, and Go hopefully on, on, you know, in a, I'm going to be in a horror movie this weekend. I'm pretty excited about that. What? So, I'm pretty excited. Are yeah, you like are you the world. person that peeks out from behind the wall? No, or like no, this is full circle. This is full I circle. Am, <laughs> I'm one of the I am one of the three um it's about a girl that goes on a series of bad dates uh and I I'm one of I'm the best of the three. That is horror movie. I think yes. I it's implied that maybe I die at the end but I'm not sure. So. Oh. Oh. Interesting. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Well, What's it, we do will, we know what this project is called? It's called Penny. Uh, it'll and I'll, I'll send you some info about it or whatever. Amazing, perfect, amazing, but yeah, awesome. Again, thank you so so much. This was this was awesome. Thank you, appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Halal Gap. Stay tuned for more episodes. The Halal Gap is a Moskers production. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok by searching Moskers Film Festival. Thank you to our sound and video editor, Arish Jamil, our tile artist, Narmeen Syed, and our producer, Asif Qureshi. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like and subscribe. On behalf of Sophia and myself, thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next time.